Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I am Talia Bacassis. And I'm Kim France. So a lot of you have emailed us asking for stories of reinvention. Uh, it seems like you all want to hear more stories of women who have done something big and bold in their lives. You want inspo, as the kids say. So today we have a super fun guest, someone who did something big and started stand-up comedy later in life. Our guest is Shalewa Sharp. And talk about inspo. Last year, Shalewa was named one of Vulture's 2019 comics to watch. She's joked on so many shows, festivals, and podcasts that in 27, Time Out New York labeled her a local fixture. She's been on HBO's Two Dope Queens, Comedy Central's The New Negroes. She's played in John Cameron Mitchell's musical podcast, Anthem Homunculus, and has two solo albums of jokes. And she is just fucking hilarious. Shalewa Sharp, how are you? I'm all right. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. All right. All right. That's good. Yeah. So the reason we love your story is because you, well, one of the reasons is because you started comedy later than most people. How old were you when you first got on stage? I was 37. Nice. Yeah, I was 37. And how old are you now? I am 47. I'll be uh, 48 in about a month. So 10 years in comedy. Yeah. I just work with these people who make money, you know, like they make money. I mean, I'm doing fine. They pay me. I'm doing fine. Like when I go to Old Navy, I don't have to go straight to the back anymore. (laughs) I can hang out in the front for a hot second. I can see the trends, you know, I could do that. But a lot of my coworkers are the kind of people that, like, when they go on vacation, they don't go to any place that's a proper noun. You know, if you ask me, hey, Shalei, well, where are you going for your vacation? Oh, I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm going to the Magic Mike show in Las Vegas. These things. 
But when you ask these people, hey, where, what'd you do over the weekend? Where'd you go? And they go, oh, I just went up to the house. <laughs> where, where's the house? In, in the country, come on. Um, I just went upstate. What state? Come on. What are you hiding? What motivated you to start? Was it something that you had always wanted to do? Yeah, it actually it was. I um I wasn't necessarily someone who had uh like big dreams as a kid, like I didn't stake out the thing that I wanted to do. I remember um being asked when I was I don't know like 8 or 9 what I wanted to be when I grew up and I said I want to live alone in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> Um, so that was really, that was kind of the dream. And I got there at about 26. So I was like, everything after this is gravy. You peaked early. Yeah, I did. But when I was around 15, I wanted to do comedy. I wanted to do stand-up. I'd been watching some stand-up. I was a little obsessed with late night television, um, not necessarily for the, um, late night hosts or the comedy aspect, but because I didn't really grow up with cable. So all of the vi music videos that I wanted to watch came on on shows that were late at night. So I got to see comedy just by trying to watch a bunch of music videos. And at some point, like right around 14 or 15, I watched, I think it was an Ellen DeGeneres special where she had a Fido Dido t-shirt on and she was doing comedy. And I said, I have that shirt. I could totally do that. <laughs> Everything else is the same. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. And I told my parents, I was like, I think I want to do stand-up comedy. And they were like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> but I still didn't start it. it. It just never occurred to me to start in my 20s. I didn't, what did I even have to talk about? And then at some point, uh, it switched from what did I have to talk about to uh, what right do I even have to talk about it? Whatever it is, who really wants to hear this? How did you give yourself permission I started really just watching a lot of late night shows and concentrating on the comedy and then thinking, well, let me just do this once. It's actually, it's a little morbid. Um, my mother had had a stroke when she was 46. And mm -hmm. uh, so when I started to approach 40, that was always on my mind. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let me just do some things before I have my stroke. <laughs> and um, I was like, all right, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and try comedy. And, uh, you know, tried to figure out, okay, what goes in a, I got to write five minutes worth of jokes, I guess. And, oh, you wow. know, all of that, like figure this out. And I did, I, I wrote what I thought was funny and what I assumed was a joke form. And, uh, and went to an open mic night in Atlanta at a place called the Legendary Star Bar, which is just, you know, one of your finest uh, dive bars in, in the country. The whole place is, it's just built on a, a bed of nicotine. <laughs> so I, I went there and did my jokes. I went with a friend. A friend had to drive me. I didn't have a car. And he was supposed to record me so that I'd had proof that I had done it at least once. Mm -hmm. As I was up there about halfway through... I looked over and I could see him and he wasn't recording. And I thought, well, man, like that's the whole reason you're here was for the <laughs> ride and to record it. And then after that, I thought, well, that's fine because it looks like this is what I have to do with the rest of my life. So I kept telling the jokes, but I also was mentally thinking like, all right, how do I adjust my life to continue to do this? Because you loved it so much. 
Yeah, like on stage during my first set, multitasking, trying to figure out how to do it forever. When someone says to me, I'm allergic to gluten, what I'm actually hearing is, I make more money than you. <laughs> right? Because you can't be broke and allergic to gluten. You can be broken shit a lot, but you can't be broke. That's not how money works. You can't be broke and allergic to gluten. Sorry, you're basically a person who feels like you don't even know how to write a joke, and then you get up on a stage at a dive bar. Like, what did it feel like? Was it scary? It was a little scary. I went a little bit earlier in the lineup, uh, so people were... I thought at the time, I was like, well, everyone's being very receptive and very sweet. And it's probably because they're not really drunk yet. <laughs> but I'll, I'll ride that wave. It felt great, actually. It was really nice to know that what I thought was joke structure was actually joke structure. Because I was just basing it on comedians I've seen and ways that I've told stories and things that I've read and how I would write essays and things like that. Uh, it was nice to for that to be slightly validated. Like, oh, okay, I am, even though this is my first time, this is the right direction, whatever my gut instinct was in writing these jokes down and how I wanted to say them. It's the correct instinct. Right. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you took up comedy? I was someone who just needed to work jobs to pay my bills. So, you know, I was a, I was a retail um, person for quite some time. Like, I worked in an independent record store for um, a number of years. You know what? I was telling Tally, watching you perform, you kind of intimidated me a little. Like, there's something slightly <laughs> scary about you, and, and not in a bad way, and I kind of, like, stay away, you know, respect. But anyway, that's the same type of person I would expect to be working in an independent record store. Or you're going you're gonna to love this. After the independent record store, I worked in, a, uh, in an adult video store for like <laughs> six to seven years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's the same type of energy, only, uh, you know, with material that I'm not as familiar with as I am <laughs> with music. But I get the gist of. But just having to put on that kind of attitude to deal with uh, the customers. I can't believe you worked in an adult video store for six or seven years. Like, isn't that, I, I don't know, it just seems like it might be depressing. It wasn't. And I think that is why I stayed for so long, because it could have been depressing. There are stores where the vibe of it is kind of depressing. But we had a really good crew of people there. Mm. So we were we kind of became our own little family. But we were it was a 24 hour store, which is wild. And it was like, you know, like a blockbuster, except all the movies were dirty. And instead of snacks, it was, you know, like cock rings or something. And <laughs> I love I love the 24 hour aspect. It's like I must go get a new cock ring at 5 a.m. Right. It's got to happen. <laughs> you know, it was well lit. It didn't feel like mm -hmm. um, someone was in, coming in in like a, you know, like a trench coat and glasses. Yeah. I mean, folks would come in like that <laughs> and they would be annoyed because we would be playing music and joking and laughing. And mm -hmm. they were like, this is serious stuff. And we're like, OK, buddy. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's certainly what kept me there uh, so long was that my coworkers, they had good spirits. So we were all in good spirits in right. order to be there. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it gives you real insight into the human condition, which is useful for stand-up comedy. It certainly does. I've learned so much about people in that job, just retail in general, but definitely that particular kind of retail, just retail where it's <laughs> extremely important to them. So I would say that music and porn are things that are so personal and so important to people. I started doing a one woman show about working in the porn store because I never talked about it in my comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I was just like, it's too much. I can't just talk about it in seven to 10 minutes. Like it's a full hour. Right. And I did it recently and a, a current coworker of mine saw it. And when she saw it at the end, she said, this explains so much about how you are, how you are. <laughs> like why you react to things the way you do. And it's, I, I understand now. But yeah, I definitely learned a lot about people <laughs> at that job. Middle-aged women in comedy are not that common. Do people, do you find people treat you differently because of it? I've had some people say, don't tell your age. I've come across that a good bit. And I'm like, but I'm really happy with my age. Like, I'm proud to be at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't want to necessarily return to earlier days because um, it's not that I really went through it or anything, but there are lessons that I learned that got me to this point, and I wouldn't want to lie and have to pretend I didn't go through those lessons again. Also, my math is bad. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget, like, what the references I'm supposed to use are and things like that. But I... Kind of whatever it is that I'm going through is what I talk about in my comedy. So lately I'd been talking about like, like what middle age means because mm -hmm. that's not something that's really like spoken about deeply, I feel like. It's very surface. It's either... And it's joked about in really predictable ways. Right, exactly. But there are other things that you, that you find yourself doing or picking up or letting go and uh, no one really speaks about that. I once worked a job, and in the time that I was in this job, I lost both of my parents, right? So my mother passed away first. About a year later, my father died. So I had just come back from my father's memorial service, and one of my coworkers came up to me, and she said, wow, so both of your parents are gone. And I said, yes, unfortunately, that is the case. And then she said, man... Don't you wish you had had kids so they could have known their grandkids? Oh. <laughs> when you have these conflicting feelings about moving into a new age where you're not necessarily expected to do some things because they're for younger folks, but when I'm in comedy, I'm surrounded by nothing but younger people. Mm. So they're just like, well, come on, how can you have that view? You sound like my mom. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like two years younger than your mom. Mm -hmm. I, why wouldn't I sound like her? Right. You know, I mean, I have these, these moments. I'm just, you know, I'm like at that weird middle age thing where like I get it, but I don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you're 27 or younger, I don't get your references. Sorry, I smile and I nod. I have no idea what you're talking about. What the fuck's an adventure time? Why do y'all keep going on and on about that? What is that? I also talk a little bit about uh, race. No, really, seriously. Pro-black household. This is how pro-black my household was. Malcolm X was assassinated um, in February of 1965. 
before he was supposed to give a speech. My father was supposed to be at that speech. My father was not at that speech because he was running late. That, that is the blackest thing I've ever heard. Running late to a Malcolm X speech? Come on now. That is, that is pitch. That is midnight. That is super black. That is shaft black. That's crazy. Hey, look, you know what? I don't, I don't want you thinking that I'm coming down on white women. I know I've said a couple of things. But nah, I love y'all. I love y'all. You know what? Shout out to white women. I feel like that's probably not said enough. Shout out to the white women. I saw you guys at the, um, the protests that were going on in New York, the all, the Black Lives Matters protests, you know? And it was so heartwarming to see you guys using that oversized sense of entitlement for good. <laughs> there is nothing like watching a white woman yell at a cop. using the same tone of voice that she normally would be saying, oh yeah, well, let me speak to your manager. Oh! Have my back, sister, have my back. I love y'all. Your special Stay Eating Cookies was recorded in 2015, and it's so incredibly current. Like, it could have been recorded yesterday. Mm-hmm. It talks about Black Lives Matter, white privilege, Karen culture. How does it feel that, like, everybody is talking about the thing that you've been talking about for ages? But it's it's nice to know that I wasn't uh, going crazy when I was thinking these things, when I was seeing these things. And because sometimes I would say those jokes and I would get the blankest looks. And I'm like okay, so then is this just me? Am I the only one who's seeing this? And, you know, at the time that I recorded that, I recorded that album in like, yeah, 2015. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to say them because these are funny to me. And I think people understand. So now to see kind of America's third eye opening uh, is been very interesting seeing that happen, seeing the conversations happening from that, seeing the pushback to it. Because it could have been recorded yesterday. Yeah, it's so wild to see people kind of having these conversations and and huh. really like talking about it in a way where it's like, okay, so uh, not only was I not being crazy about it, others are, and we are now educating those who were unaware. Uh, so that's kind of nice to see. Not that I necessarily needed um, the validation or justification, but it's nice to know that it arrived. Mm, so right. on a broader scale. But some of your jokes are very harsh towards the Karens of the world, which is fair. But also I was trying to figure out, like, are you speaking to white audiences? Or are you speaking to black audiences? Or do you not think of it either way? I don't think of it either way, but I, I do end up in front of more white audiences than black audiences. So it definitely um, affects the response to the jokes. It may also affect the way that I phrase the jokes or tell the jokes. Like even with saying the joke about um, seeing white women yell at a cop 
with the same energy that they say, let me speak to your manager. When I would say that in front of black audiences, there's a laugh, but it's a very knowing laugh. And when I say it in front of white audiences, there's a little bit of a shock, a pop of a shock, like, oh, oh, I guess that is a thing that, huh, how about that? That is something like that Like they we each do. recognize themselves, but then... Yeah, like, yeah, just from the opposite ends of seeing that. Right. So the laughter is a little bit different, but it's usually like a pretty mixed crowd for me, but probably more white audiences than black audiences is what I've traditionally been in front of. Does that affect what jokes you tell? Mm, it affects how I, how I want to approach different topics. Like, however, however I want to approach a topic, I try to think about what is it that I'm trying to say? And then once I kind of flesh that out, I take that in front of crowds and say it a, a few ways. I'll say it in a particular way in front of different audiences and I can tell like, oh, okay, some people don't understand what I'm going for here versus, all right, these folks do understand what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say, what I'm getting at. With some of my dating stuff, when I talk about being older and looking up um, older black men, and what that's like when I say that it's basically just nothing but men messaging me greetings queen. Yes, I remember that. Um, <laughs> I see laughter and then I wonder if everyone fully understands what mm. I mean, that I am not knocking uh, the black men that do that, but that is something that happens at a particular age. For me then it's just like, no, yeah, young people are not doing that that's definitely an older black man thing but i've gotten feedback where it's like why are you making fun of black dudes doing that and i'm like no nah, they can keep it going uh i love that they're doing it but it also just reminds me that i have moved into the greetings queen demo <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily sit right with me i wonder what the white equivalent of greetings queen is yeah i don't i don't know because there's um the approach is just very like, look, I know the world is tough out here for you, queen. And I just want you to know right away that I'm on your side and right. I will take care of you. <laughs> and I don't know if white women are approached like that mm. because I'm not entirely sure that there's an understanding of the burden of white women by white men. Right. Whereas there is a burden of black women that black men will initially give lip service to. Now, whether or not they continue to give lip service to it, that will determine how many dates will happen at, after the first queen. But Because right. that can go away within like three exchanges. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how exclusive that is to black women. But I know when I tell that joke to black women, they're like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's a that's a thing. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. Now, who are some of your comedy role models? Comedy role models, I guess, would be like, I like Wanda Sykes. Uh, mm -hmm. Janine Garofalo was the queen when I was really coming of age. So she, she, for me, was the one. Although I will say, at the time, if you would ask me, who's your favorite comic, I would say Janine Garofalo. And if, then if you asked me, do you think she's funny? I'd say, I'm just happy she's out there saying what she's saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I also enjoyed women comedians. I liked Elaine Boozler, uh, Rita Rudner, Judy Tenuta, because she was nuts. And I was just like, oh, what yeah. is happening here? Male comedians, um, I like Dave Chappelle. Well, wait, you actually wrote a critique of one of Chappelle's recent shows in Vulture. I did. Right, and to give listeners some context, I didn't actually see the shows, but Dave Chappelle did a show in which he made some very uncool and very unprogressive comments about trans people. I'm going to read a paragraph because it was so good. This is not a defense or endorsement of Chappelle. He's going to say what he wants to say, and I'm a comic, so my metric is usually, but was it funny? 
It's just, man, the 40s are such a forgotten age, you know? There's a great deal of hoopla about making it to 40, and then once you're there, it's like you don't exist. Nobody wants to answer your questions. They keep telling you to do your Googles. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're at a gathering, and you say something like, if you're not a gender, how will you know what to wear to your office job? And everyone will think, whoa, has this clueless old man been here the whole time? Yeah. That's the end of the paragraph I was reading. It was so good, listeners. You should just go do your Googles and read it. <laughs> so tell us about how it came about from your perspective. I wrote about what it's like to be in your 40s and doing comedy and people saying, eh, you're out of touch. And it was, for the most part, based on my experience. And I said it even in the piece, just like, hey, man, I'm no Chappelle. You know what I mean? There's no, I'm no Chappelle. But I do know what it's like to say something and people go, what? And you're like, oh, whoops, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, at some point, it, it'll come for us all. And, you know, at some point I'm probably going to put out an album that's just like, what the hell are y'all talking about? Or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, that hopefully when I decide that I'm, I'm done attempting to keep my mind open, that I land in a good spot. That was ultimately what the piece was about. And then, you know, they put it out and, uh, and my mentions was in shambles for the whole weekend. And then I think Bill Burr put out a special and everyone forgot. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's good. I thought that was going to last a lot longer. Do you think a male comic would have gotten the same reaction? Mm, maybe, but probably not. I feel like there were a few people who had written basically the same kind of thing or just trashing the special. And they may have been women, and I think they also got a great deal of grief. Mm -hmm. um, when I got to, like, sixth and seventh grade, a few things changed, boobs. We had to deal with that. Also, I made the decision to be in Camp Cindy Lauper and I left the Madonna people behind. I'm so glad I didn't put money on that because I, that's the beginning of like terrible choices. How could you? I was like, but she's just wearing underwear. I mean, Cindy Lauper's putting together magic. Do you see what's happening with the eyeshadow? I picked wrong. <laughs> a female comedian told a friend of mine that she can never wear anything that's even remotely sexy or even trendy on stage because she won't be taken seriously. Have you found that to be the case? I know that is the case for a lot of uh, women, for probably all female comedians. I know that that is a struggle. I think this is the biggest positive thing of starting late in life, is that I was already, I already had a sense of who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm and how I wanted to look and things of that nature. So if someone had a problem with how I looked, I, I was just like, yeah, you're coming at me too late, man. Like, <laughs> I've already been through a lifetime of this and this is kind of what I've decided on. So um, yeah, there are definitely times where I may have worn something and then I, I get home and I'm like, this may have been, I don't know if that, maybe that's why I couldn't get their attention because they were too busy Maybe you could see my bra through the shirt or something. But for the most part, it's, um, oh, this is a, a larger black woman. So I'm sure she's going to be fine if I yell, you go, girl, before she says a word. And I am not. I'm <laughs> not going to be fine with that. So that's really, that was more of my issue than how I looked. Because I had already decided on how I looked when I left the house. And I was like, this is good. Right. Um, one thing I, I do... Uh, for the past few years being in um, New York, a lot of the shows I do are in Brooklyn. And so there, there's a lot more wiggle room 
on how you're looking on stage and, and things of that nature. And then when you take that spirit somewhere else where it's a little more traditional comedically, that's when they really kind of feel a, a weird pushback from the crowd. But when I, st I started in Atlanta and I started within a, like a traditional comedy club, so I already got a sense of that kind of, of knowing that people were coming from small towns from far away and... Uh, maybe don't show your toes unless they're painted or something stupid <laughs> like that. I know, but your look is so cool. You, like in your special, you're wearing a cool dress. You have Converse on. You've got cool girl glasses. I don't know. I Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I And that was like a, I'll be comfortable in this. So I think that comes from starting at 37 as opposed to starting at 27. If I'd right. started at 27, oh my gosh, that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> So bad. And I, it still took me longer to get to a sense of self clothing wise than a lot of other people, I think. Uh, so I was willing to play with a lot of things and, and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, by the time I started, uh, thank goodness, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to this is, I think, how I feel like looking. Right. But yeah, that is an issue because at, after the show, you may have to deal with, you know, folks coming up to you and wanting to talk and what they want to say. And that can also just be based on what it, whatever it was you were wearing. And you'll mm. find out when they say something to you and it has nothing to do with whatever you just said. Mm -hmm. It, you know, may usually start with, well, normally I don't like female comedians, but Oof. you reminded me of someone who you're nothing like. And then, <laughs> but you're like a hotter version of, or you know what, if, if you, depending on how drunk some people are, you know, if you lost like some weight, you would remind me of. And Ugh. yeah, yeah. People feel real free because you've just talked about yourself on stage. Right, right. right so they right. feel like, oh, all bets are off. I can talk about everything about you that you may have missed. Maybe you didn't, I don't know if you forgot to mention your pot belly, but I feel like I should go ahead and mention it now. Right. Right, let me just go ahead and tell you right now at the bar. So yeah, it can be a mess. Yikes. So like I said at the beginning, we have a lot of listeners who want to make a big change or reinvent themselves, but they feel like it's too late. And I have a friend who would love to do stand-up, but she just feels like she missed her chance. So why didn't you feel that way? And what would you say to somebody who wants to reinvent themselves and follow their dream later in life, even though I can't really believe I just said follow your dream? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Every time I think follow your dream, I'm like, who are you? What is, what's God. wrong with you? There's got to be a better phrase. I think one thing is we're all kind of a, hyper aware of the dangers. And so that may keep people from doing things. So I think you may have to be a little dumb when you start. <laughs> Not like dumb about how you go about it, but just dumb in that there may be doors that aren't open for you. Right now, we're very aware that there are many doors that are not open. But if you're kind of stupid about it, you can just, you're like, are you sure? Because I'm just going to walk through this door. Right. That's a little bit of what I, I didn't know to be terrified of some things or to be scared of some things. I knew some things would be scary, but I didn't think that I shouldn't do it because of that element. One thing is to trust yourself and your gut and your sense of self and how you react in certain instances. Because if you're starting something later in life, that means you've already gone through some shitty things, probably. Mm -hmm. um, 
not necessarily the things that are forcing you to the life change, but just in general, we all have gone through some shitty things. So take that knowledge and that expertise and just kind of carry that with you so that when you start the new, you know, when you start the new thing, it's not as terrifying because you've already been through some shit. You know, it's, mm. it shouldn't be as, as scary. Also, whatever it is you're deciding to do, I want to say, well, I want to say make sure you love it, but you don't know until you start. You may not love it. And if you don't, that's okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, definitely give it a try and see how you feel about it. And don't think that you're bailing if it's not what you want it to be. Because it was just an option. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you didn't end everything so that you could start this. So if you, if you need to bail, it's fine. You're the only one judging you on that. And everyone should be a lot nicer to themselves in that regard. So mm-hmm. don't think it's the end all be all. But definitely give it a shot. And if it's your friend who's starting comedy, there are going to be a lot of idiots who say things to you. They will mostly be male. They will mostly think that they're helping you out. A lot of them will be creepy. Just keep a blank face and go, oh, really? Okay, I think I'm fine. And keep it moving. Mm. Because they'll already be intimidated because you're a little bit older. Because mm-hmm. uh, comedy is just a bunch of young men pretending to be even younger men. <laughs> yeah. Well, it helps. I mean, not knowing all of the reasons why you can't do something or it won't work out for you can actually be very freeing. So I mm-hmm. think that's really excellent advice to be kind of mm-hmm. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hyper scared in enough elements of my life I don't want to also do it in a thing that I enjoy Mm. right yeah so this is the part of the show um, where we normally ask people to like vamp a beauty product but then Kim I was going to tell you so (laughs) in addition to the fact that Nell Scovell gave really good life advice since my saying so many people love this feature uh, we've received a little bit of pushback on it of people saying that Maybe it's not the best thing to talk about a beauty product at the end of a long conversation that has nothing to do with (laughs) looks. So my proposal is that at the end of the show, we ask people to recommend a beauty product or if they want to give life advice, basically a life recommendation. Uh, What do you think, Kim? I think that sounds really good, Tally. I could have predicted that we would get pushback about that. You know, it depends on the conversation. Sometimes it feels like an abrupt course change, and sometimes it feels like kind of fun digression. Fair. So here you are. If you could give one recommendation for a thing or a bit of advice or a beauty product or whatever you choose, what would it Hmm. be? The advice that I have to kind of help you improve your life would be to make sure that your sleeping situation is as comfortable as possible. Oh, like, God. <laughs> God. That's a real sore spot for Kim. I've not been having it's, the worst insomnia. So. Oh, man. It's, I really, and it's something that I'm, I learned a while ago and then rectified and then moved to New York like seven years ago. And I'm like, when have I had a good night's sleep since? And I'm, so mm-hmm. I'm constantly trying to figure, all right, well, is this the pillow? Or, you know, did I, maybe I should just put my arms in the air and see if that helps. <laughs> just weird. My sister came to visit me once and we were getting ready to go to bed. And I 
turned on an oil diffuser and some spa-like music, and she was like, okay, what is happening? And I'm like, I can't <laughs> sleep. And she's like, all right. But then again, she needs to have cartoons on to go to sleep. You've opened a Pandora's box of problems for Kim. <laughs> yes. Well, there, there's an actual expression that always kind of amuses me. It's called sleep hygiene. Oh, hmm. yeah. Sleep hygiene, very important. Um, and it's true. I'm, I'm a disaster on that front. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. disaster. Thank you so much, Shalira. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. How should people find you? Oh, I'm on um, all of the social media uh, that I can figure out at Silky Jumbo. All one word, traditional spelling. Silky Jumbo. And um, if you type that in, you'll probably come across me. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're really grateful for the nice reviews. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at taliankim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.